Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. It's time for the start of another school year at the Hamilton Southeastern Schools. Overseeing it all once again is school superintendent Alan Borf. I spoke to Dr. Alan Borf during the morning of Wednesday, August 7th. I'm at the School Administration Building for Hamilton Southeastern Schools in the office of Dr. Alan Borf, the superintendent of schools for the Hamilton Southeastern School Corporation. Dr. Borf, welcome once again. Always good to talk to you. And welcome to you. And uh, this is the first day of school. You're a brave individual. You agreed to an interview on the first day of school. You never know what will happen, but I did pick up a little banter in your office here before we started. I assume things went well today. It's been, it's been good so far. We have school board members and uh, central office uh, staff members who are out and, out and about in the buildings. I was at Riverside Intermediate and Junior High and at Durban Elementary before this interview. Um, lots of excitement. It's always fun to greet the kindergartners as they come off the bus, and I was able to do that at Durban. But even even the seventh and eighth graders are full of excitement. Uh, I watched them, and one interesting conversation, so typical of young adolescents, um, in the halls at Riverside, eighth grade conversation between a boy and a girl. A girl was standing, looking at this this young man, and said. Oh my gosh, you are taller than I am. <laughs> and <laughs> over the over the summer, he must have gone through a growth spurt, and oh that was gosh. the conversation. Well, that's uh, first day of school. That's kind of normal. Somebody, uh-huh. looks, I don't remember you that way. That, that's an interesting uh, story there. Thank you. You always have an all staff meeting and almost call it a pep rally the day before school starts. I was fortunate enough to attend that the day before we record this, and and you did reveal something very interesting that HSC schools could have more than 22,000 students this year, the school year, uh, that would be the first time ever. And I went back and looked at the last presentation that Jerry McKibben, the um, demographer that you've used uh, for years in the school system, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago, was his last detailed report before the school board. He had projected 21,593 students K through 12. So something has happened do you have a handle yet on exactly what has happened here to, to bump those numbers up by several hundred? We're, we are studying that at this point. Of course, we never know exactly how many students we will lose on, in, in the first week, students who don't show up again or students who uh, are starting school elsewhere at a later time, and so their transcript request may come through. So we are looking, we are looking at that. Uh, acknowledging the fact that we could lose a few numbers. But even so, it appears as though we'll be over the 22,000 mark. And uh, we know that on the west side of the district, as those older neighborhoods turn over, that they could very well be turning over to younger families who are uh, rising, making the the enrollment uh, climb again. But we also know that on the east side, housing has really developed to the point that uh, we have a brand new building, Southeastern Elementary, that was supposed to be at 80% capacity that is now at capacity, perhaps even over. So there's perhaps more growth out there than he was anticipating. So what we will do after school settles 
is to uh, do a scattergram of where our students are. We can do that through our bus, tra- uh, our transportation technology. And we'll just chart to see how close the projections were to what we're dealing with now. I guess the first thing that comes to the mind of, of, of parents and families in the school district when you hear something like that is you're going to have to figure out a way to deal with this now. Will there be a necessity as you look at all the options of possibly adding portable classrooms again? I hope not. Uh, but we have not uh, disposed of all of our portable classrooms either. We still have a number of portable classrooms. And um, what I'm what I what the school board is discussing and what I am uh, encouraging them to continue to dis- to discuss is uh, an expansion of our Durban elementary facility. And the discussion centers on right now whether we can do that expansion at the current site or whether we will need to build a new a whole new facility on a different site. New construction uh, may be more cost efficient than an expansion of an existing facility like that. But an expansion of the Durban facility would reduce the pressure on already at-capacity buildings such as Thorpe Creek and Geist and now Southeastern. We knew when Southeastern was built that we would still have some, some capacity issues. We've been discussing the Durban project for some time, but there's a greater sense of urgency now. Well, I was gonna, that was my next question. Let me develop that a little more because Harry Delks, your director of facilities, laid out for the school board at the last meeting the fact that that decision is just months away. He thinks January may be the latest a decision is made one way or the other. And one of the complications about expanding the current school is the fact that you do not have water and utility hookups. You would have to pay for that. That would be expensive. That would, I think, at least $5 million. That that was the price he quoted. And that's the the most recent number yet. It could even go higher than that. Of course, you have to build the, the the facility as well. So you are looking at a lot of different options. I've heard a lot of discussion about this. I know that there have been other sites that have been considered. You haven't talked publicly about them for obvious reasons. But as you look at, at this, as the administration looking to the school board and trying to give them advice and options, um, are you leaning any particular way now yourself as, as to where you may want the board to go, or is it too early to uh, to do to actually make a comment on that? Uh, I'll I'll make a comment on where I'm leaning. Whether this will come out as a formal recommendation is yet to be determined. But um, we have seen what's possible with uh, designing a building around educational concepts instead of forcing our educational concepts into a building. Southeastern Elementary is a facility that makes it possible to teach the way we believe students learn. And our Durban students uh, and the students who would be redistricted into that building deserve the same kind of service that our students at Southeastern are uh, being given. So my thought is, uh, at this point, I would be leaning to some new construction, and it may look strikingly similar to what we have already designed and built for Southeastern Elementary. We'll have the advantage, when the time comes, to have lived in that building for, for a time to see how it functions and if it's as effective as we think it is. But, and if, it is, if so, then uh, I, I would guess that my recommendation will be along that line. Now, having said that, I'm also a proponent of using the resources that you have to their maximum extent. And if it's determined that 
a facility like Durban, which is a sister building to Cumberland Road Elementary, if that could be enhanced and expanded, um, that may be what we have to look at. I know there's some people in that area that would like to see Durban at the current location, even if you built another building, and there is room for that. Of course, you have the the, uh, the water and utility issue, which would add to the cost. Uh, but I would also think, and I just making a general comment, you can react if you wish, that there are probably some developers that would love to have a, a, an elementary school in or near their development. I I can guarantee you there there are. <laughs> so there are going to be other I, I've met a, I've met a couple. I was going to say I'm sure you've had discussions on that. So uh, is it so you would say by January we should have some sort of recommendation for the board on that. That's that's what we're that's what we're aiming for. I want to talk about what I think is a really good news story. There are a lot of tough things that happen when you're administering schools and we know about those. But you had a situation where you were wanting to upgrade the sound systems at both HSE High School and Fisher's High School. I've been to some of those events, and and I know that the staff there struggles because that that technology is just not up to date, and some of it's just not working the way it should. It's It's just age for the most part. But what happened in this case is something that your director of facilities told you is unfortunately becoming uh, common around the state of Indiana. There, either no bid is received. In this case, you received one bid that was, I think, around $400,000 or more above uh, what the projection was going to be. And there are some people that would say, well, we'll have to wait for the sound system. We're not going to get the new sound system. But what I, the story I heard at the board meeting, and I want you to tell it in more detail, about how the staff or staffs at each of those high schools got together with uh, the, the administrators and found a way to at least take the next step in improving the sound systems and other infrastructure there at those, those two auditoriums. Yeah, oftentimes when we, when we have a, a bid like that, we jump to the conclusion that we either can't do the project or we have to find the money to enhance the project so that we can pay that, that uh, full bid price. And in this case, uh, we brought both of our uh, auditorium supervisors together and some of our directors of, of uh, productions. And they met, with, they met with Harry Delks, our facilities director, and they also met with uh, some of the designers of the, of the system. And together, I believe this was an hours-long meeting that they had. I remember when it was over. Um, they went through line by line by line, and they discussed what they felt were redundancies or perhaps um, elements that could be pared back. Um, in one case, it was described to us at, at the board meeting, wireless would be nice, but it's not absolutely necessary. It's it's a tremendous upgrade, what's recommended. Wireless would take it to the next level, but we don't have to have that. They trimmed that substantial amount of money off that project to the point where it's doable and they're excited about it. And it's not that the contractors are excited about it, it's that the the school people themselves, those users of the auditorium are – very excited. Um, Andy Smith, for example, when he came, or Andy Jones, when he came out of the uh, the meeting, told told me, he says, "We have we have done it. We have some a great project in store for us." And I said, "How did you do it?" And he said, 
well, in some cases, we just didn't need what they were recommending. And he said, uh, would have been nice, would have been a luxury, though. And uh, we're not looking for luxury. We're, we're looking for practicality. And that's what we're going to have, and we will have a top-notch facility. Our people, our people were responsible for that. And I think uh, some of the people who spoke before the board said they are going to have to forego some of the renovation, but that uh, they can do that over time without taking a big hit to one budget in one year. They think they can work that into their own budget, which is also quite a, I, I think that, you know, that that really is a, a kudo to your staff. I, they're, they're hardworking and they've, they've been at it long enough that they know uh, we have great facilities, but we have uh, facilities that extend beyond the two auditoriums, and they're they're well aware of that. So they're doing their part to be responsible. I I applaud them. Let me move to an issue that always uh, gets attention. That's school security, and of course we all remember the incident in Noblesville that happened. Uh, and and when that happened, you filled the Leonard Auditorium with people when you had a a presentation with the mayor, yourself, and many other officials to talk about. In fact, I, I think the uh, superintendent of state police, who used to be Hamilton County Sheriff, was there at that mm-hmm. meeting. And uh, when you fill the auditorium, there's a great deal of interest. And that incident had just happened. And, and having covered the school board since 2012, I can say, through my observations, that school security is something that has been discussed at the high levels of the school corporation for a long time, predating you, and it certainly continued when you became superintendent. So what I would ask you to do is just talk about what the school corporation here, HSC schools, are doing on an ongoing basis without giving too much away, obviously. What are you doing on an ongoing basis to make sure that your facilities are as safe as they can be? One of the one of the issues that we deal with constantly that a lot of people don't associate with security is the emphasis on equitable practices by our staff. Equitable practices um, don't sound like anything that ha- has to do with school safety, but when you have students who perceive themselves as being tre- mistreated or being treated in non-equitable ways, resentment develops. And it's through those feelings of resentment that you get students who harbor notions of violence. And it doesn't always work that way, of course, but in many instances it does. So we are working on equitable equitable practices and instructional designs. Um, We are also working on the mental health component. We have been doing that for some time and winning compliments from from many different sources on some of the practices that we're doing in, in that regard. Again, mental health, uh, mental wellness is not necessarily something that you attach to the idea of school safety and security, but it's at the very heart of school safety and security. And we emphasize that our teachers need to know their students, and their students need to have a sense of belonging. Um, the better we know our students, the better we're able to see changes in behavior or in appearance or in habits. It's those changes that alert you to the fact that something may not be right and that something that's not right could lead to some violence. So we're constantly monitoring that and working with our staff to develop uh, those elements of uh, greater awareness. Now, in, in the hardening of our, of our facilities, 
I will say that there there are some things we we just rather not talk about, but there are some obvious things that we do, and that would be to uh, enhance the design of our buildings so that when anybody enters a building, they enter a vestibule where they have to identify themselves and go into the office rather than straight into the building. We have a couple buildings that will be going through renovations to assure that that happens, but most of our buildings are now designed in that manner. We also have a new uh, text-to-tip software, and it will work in much the same way that uh, the old one did. But I'd encourage all of our parents and students to visit our website to refresh themselves on that because it is a new, it's a new system. Uh, it has a new name that as we're sitting here right now, I can't even remember. But uh, we're putting that into place, and we are constantly working with the Fishers Police Department through our uh, school resource officers to update all of our practices, all of our um, all of our equipment and technology to provide that safety and security. That having been said, it comes down to communication. And in so many cases, um, the communication can only be enhanced through drills and procedures that uh, put us at ease when we're making some of these calls. And so when, when parents hear that their children have been through a drill, uh, we hope it's not from the child for the first time they hear that. We hope that they're hearing that through some of our communication to them specifically throughout the day. Some of our parents need to be aware that if they are going to get those communications from us, they need to be signed up with our, with our communication system. And if they would go to the website and check to see how they can sign up for Skylert Messages, Uh, They need to do that. We had a number of parents last year who uh, were caught off guard by some of our calls. Uh, They hadn't heard them. And when we went to find out why they hadn't heard them, we realized they'd never signed up for for the alerts. So we encourage them to sign up for that. It's a a first, first step in being a part of that safety and security that they can do. Yes, my wife was in charge of signing up for everything when my daughters were in school. So, uh, yeah, we she made sure she was connected in every way. And you're right, that's something parents need to think about. Uh, I was at your meeting yesterday, the, the rally you had to open up school the day before school, and you had a number of new teachers. I think it was, was it 90 new yes. teachers? 90 yes. new teachers. But So we can't talk about everyone, but just a, an influx of new teachers uh, that have come into the school corporation. But you also have a, a, a number of new administrators. Talk about those. Well, we have a new principal at uh, Hamilton Southeastern High School. Chad Kripe replaces our interim principal from last year. Um, and... and Charlie Hoover. And uh, Chad comes from a smaller high school, but he grew up in Carmel. He knows this area very well. And he was a basketball coach, but uh, he's also been an administrator for some years. And he's hit the ground running over there. Um, uh, He had me do a walkthrough with him uh, through the facility just the other night so that he could demonstrate or show me what uh, needs to have some some resources dedicated <laughs> to some upgrades. <laughs> and I was, I was impressed with uh, the degree to which he now knows the building, and now his, his expertise is going to be shifting towards students. We have another, uh, another principal now at uh, 
Fall Creek Junior High because we moved that principal into a, a position here in the central office. Kim Lippy had been principal there, and we have we now have her in the central office. And um, that principal, uh, Stacy Stacy Swan, is from. She had been a principal at Noblesville, so she also knows our area. And we're we're thrilled to have her with us. We do have some new assistants, and we also have uh, Kim Day over at Fall Creek Intermediate, who uh, replaces Randy Sheff, longtime principal here. So we, yes, we do have some new administrators. Uh, it's always a healthy. It's it's always healthy when you can have a um, small increase in the number of new people, new faces. You mentioned that we had somewhere around ninety. 80 to 90 new teachers. That's down significantly from the past few years. That sounds like a lot of people, but we have a number of resignations, retirements that we have to take into consideration. Uh, Some of our new employees represent the expansion of our district by one elementary school. So we do have some, we have a new uh, set of new teachers to staff the the library, the uh, science, the art, the music, P.E., the rest of those teachers were pretty much shifted from portable classroom sites, or uh, at least we were emptying those portable classroom sites, and they came from other buildings. Um, but we do have a number of new teachers from all over the country. I, uh, I've had the chance to meet them, and we have some from uh, other states who have come back home. Um, and we just have we have a number of people who have recruited out of college. They want to be a part of a great school system, and they've, they've found one. Yesterday, I mentioned this a couple of times already, you had an all-staff meeting at the gymnasium at Fishers High School. And this, I have to give you credit for this, because the first few years I started covering the school corporation, it was a teachers-only meeting at an auditorium, which was fine. But it was when you became superintendent, you said, let's, make, let's do this for the entire staff of the school corporation. So you needed a bigger venue, and it's been at Fishers High School. I mention this again because it, even though it's a staff meeting, you took the time during that one-hour event to recognize two students. And I want you to talk about those two students. Oh, it was – these two students are inspirational students. And one of them is a national poet, national poet. She's – there were over 20,000 entries submitted uh, for this competition, and she was one of five and the only one in this region. And I wanted her to entertain the thought of dedicating a uh, – an original work to the opening of school, and she agreed to do it, and she even agreed to do it in person, which I thought was a gift. And the other student, and, and by the way, that was Salma Mohammed, and the other student from Fisher's High School, Salma is from HSE High School, the other student was our one of our delegates to Girls State, and she went on as a senator to Girls Nation, and she became president of Girls Nation. That's Anna Gaston. And she was the first Hoosier to win Girls Nation since, I believe, 1970. Now, isn't that true that the other girls actually vote on who the president is going oh, to yes. be? Oh, yes. She so had she to campaign. Them, so she won them over. Yes, she had to campaign. And uh, it was. she talked about her experience. Uh, Salma talked uh, 
Salma actually dedicated her writing to uh, to the staff and the teachers and likened them to gardeners. And uh, it was it was a beautiful beautiful comment on the on the part of both the girls. But you know we're all about students, and we talk about student agency here, students owning their learning, and. Uh, we have to demonstrate that at, at this level, too. And I thought it was very appropriate for students to be leading us into the school year. And they helped us ring in the school year. At a recent school board meeting, I won't say recent, it was months ago, you uh, told the school board you were fairly optimistic you were going to be able to initiate a Chinese language program. Now, I know it's difficult at the high school level to do this because instructors are very hard to find. You thought you had somebody uh, lined up, didn't happen. Uh, are you still working on that, or where where does that stand? I'm not giving that up. Okay. Um, not giving that but at all. But I'm also practical enough to know uh, there are some battles better fought at another time. And the battle to incorporate uh, some of these uh, uh, world languages into our system will continue. But you are right. One of our um, obstacles has been consistency of instructor. And that's very difficult right now. Um, there are agencies within the country. In fact, on NPR this morning, they were talking about the Confucius Institutes, how many of them have been closed recently throughout the, the country. The Confucius Institutes have generally been a source for Chinese instructors. But the catch is most of those instructors only commit to a one- or two-year stint. And like I said earlier, we, we stress that our teachers need to know our kids. And if you're coming in one year and going out the next, that's not the consistency we're looking for in getting to know uh, kids. So it's not off the table by any means, but we are not offering it at this point. Move on to something else. After a very spirited and public debate, uh, the school board has enacted a non-discrimination policy. It is in place. My question is, the, as the administrator here, um, what has the administration done to try to implement that policy now that school is back in session? You know, the, the most important piece in that was to demonstrate to our staff that the school board is behind them in what we call the equitable practices. I, I opened this discussion with the importance of equitable practices um, as a means of uh, relieving tension and, and, and addressing frustrations. When we have all students uh, treated with respect, treated with equity, um, we, have, we have a good situation to work from. And what was happening in the in the buildings was not necessarily that students were not being treated with with uh, equity and with with dignity but teachers weren't sure exactly the extent to which uh, policy was supporting their their actions and so our staff is very relieved for the most part. I mean, the messages I've received is that they are relieved that this statement is out there and they feel that they're on solid ground when they're working with these, with these kids. And some of, the, some of the students that we're talking about are students who also felt that perhaps they weren't being recognized as um, having needs that had to be observed, had to be supported. Uh, so that's helpful. 
I'd like to think that our practices haven't changed at all, because I'd like to think that we have had equitable and uh, dignified practices directed to all of our students for some time. Um, but if some teachers are now more comfortable in providing those, then that's, that's even better. Mike Reuter will be leaving the building on December 31st. Uh, how much will you and the rest of the people here miss Mike, even though he, you've already named his successor, Cecilie Nunn, who I'm sure will do a fine job. But uh, even she admitted to me we're all going to miss Mike. Well, we, well, we will. Uh, Mike has not been just our CFO. He has also been uh, an advisor to superintendents on a number of issues, particularly during uh, referendum drives, building construction, He's even sat in the superintendent's role uh, between in, in some of the transitions in years past. So Mike has experience, historical knowledge of the district that uh, is hard to replace. The nice thing about Mike's departure is that, to some extent, he doesn't depart. Uh, we still will have him as a consultant. Uh, he is still a consultant to districts and to municipalities in the financial arena, and he'll continue to work with us as we build our budgets for some time. Um, he's a resident of our district. He is always uh, a welcome presence in our facilities wherever he goes, and that won't change. So we, uh, it's, it's too bad that I won't have him down the hall. But uh, he's as near as the phone, and that gives all of us, I think, a sense of satisfaction. I think a lot of people don't realize he has had this uh, side work as a consultant for some time. He has done income and revenue projections for both the town and the city of Fishers for many years. So, And he does this for many, many municipalities and, and levels of government. I want to ask about Bill Carnes, because Bill Carnes was the assistant, the assistant, the interim superintendent between Brian Smith and yourself, and uh, came in when Mike uh, Beresford went to become the superintendent in Carmel. He came back to central office and, and helped you. Uh, Bill Carnes just seemed like one of I, I, the best way I can describe Bill Carnes is he's just a, a warrior with a smile on his face. He's just always had that positive attitude. He's, he's just one of the rare people you see in education, really, who had spent years in it, retired, came back, went back to retirement, and came back again. Now, he says he's retired this time, and we'll see. But uh, give me your your uh, your views on the contributions Bill Carnes has made the last, last two or three years in the school corporation. Well, more than anything else, Bill is is a people builder. It has been for years. I've known Bill for, for years uh, when he was a superintendent, fellow superintendent. But in the, in the Hamilton Southeastern Schools, in just the last year, he was the driving force of our redistricting effort. He led that. He, he massaged it. He worked with the demographers, the principals, the, the board, the, the parents. Bill was the face of our redistricting effort, and I will always be, to, um, will be in debt to him for, for that work. What you don't, didn't see was Bill's work in the area of human resources. And in human resources, you are able to work one-on-one -on -one with teachers who are incredibly gifted people who are looking for career advancement, looking for career opportunities. Bill made some of that happen. Unfortunately, in human resources, you're also looking at 
the other side, which would be uh, dealing with challenges coming from from uh, from some employees, and we've had that. We uh, we have had some litigation over the course of the year that we've had to work with, and that was in Bill's at Bill's desk. Um, he was. Uh, a fantastic advisor for all of us. And uh, like I said, he, he's a people builder at heart and uh, relationship builder, and we miss him already. But like Mike, he lives in our system, in our, in our school system, and uh, he will be, he'll pop in every now and then. That's how he got into trouble the first time. <laughs> he popped into my office and said, what's up? And I said, well, let me, let me talk to you. And uh, he became our, our interim assistant or for uh, at least a month, and a month led to an entire school year. You know, one thing you have to keep in mind is that he didn't do redistricting once. He did it twice, and that is – you've seen this before. That's a very difficult job. I mean, I, that's a job where your, your incoming comes from every direction, and you've got to find a way to manage that, and he did it twice. Uh, where our, our time is about up. Anything you would like to add before we wrap this up? Well, I, I appreciate your coming in today. On this first day of school, I'd like to wish all of our students and all of our parents uh, a great year. We, we have teachers who are in their classrooms right now, kicking the year off in a very positive way. I've seen it myself firsthand, and uh, it's great to be in Hamilton Southeastern. Dr. Alan Borf is the superintendent of schools for Hamilton Southeastern School Corporation. Thank you so much. Thank you. My thanks to Dr. Alan Borf for taking the time to talk with me during one of the busiest days of the year for him. This podcast is brought to you by LarryInFishers.com. The Fishers does not have a local daily newspaper, so I do the best I can as one person to provide nearly daily updates on what is happening in and around Fishers online. Read LarryInFishers.com and follow my Twitter account at LarryInFishers. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again. <laughs>